Hello. Welcome to another What Is Now experience. I'm Charles Freely, and I'm here with my good friend, Saket Brisby. If we had to be categorized, we're both investigators of consciousness, with training backgrounds and professional experience in the world of psychological and spiritual healing. Each of these sessions is an adventure of the present moment. Saqib and I begin each session by sitting in silence for one minute and then simply see what arises now. We have no plan, no prepared material or concepts to cover, but are placing our trust in the wisdom of this right now experience. This is an expression of our shared philosophy of healing. If we can only let go of our desire for the present moment to be a certain way other than it is, then we can find the unexpected answers of what is actually now. So, if you will join us, we will begin with one minute of silence, and you can use this minute in whatever way you like, with your eyes closed, sitting, eyes open, standing, or walking, or driving in your car. We only ask that you return to what is actually happening right now in this moment, to reset the momentum of the day, and open up to just this. After this minute, Sakab and I will explore whatever arises between us. We identify themes of our exploration as we go, and then Sakib finishes with a short guided meditation based on the themes that arise in the session. And now let's enter one minute of silence together as we explore what is now really. And you'll hear a bell to start and end this one minute of your day. So Charles, how was that one minute for you? Mm. Always the challenging question. <laughs> uh, something that I'm noticing or did notice. Well, okay, a couple things. Mm. So the first one was the final thing I noticed, which was when the bell rang, mm -hmm. it was almost like a, uh, like you're on sort of thing. Uh, like I was in a state of very kind of openness and uh, relaxedness. And then the bell was a, almost like, I felt like I was at school or something like, mm 
<laughs> and then it's like now time to go to present or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. That was one thing, it just in a short-lived sensation, but also in the moment of feeling it, I noticed myself have a smile on my face. It was just kind of funny um, mm-hmm. to notice that feeling. I was also noticing this, like the sense of you, uh, mm-hmm. even though my eyes are closed or were closed. I was noticing, you know, here as we sit here, even though we're via video, there's some, mm-hmm. we're very close and there's something very intimate about it. And, um, but then when your eyes are closed, that person has in some way vanished from your uh, experience, but, but really you're still just as close with that person. Um, and so I was kind of just noticing your continued presence in exactly the same way, even though my eyes were closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, and then one other thing I was noticing that I feel like kind of silly today, uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, which I like. I, I like the feeling of silliness. And to me, there's, it's actually quite an important um, feeling in, in life and in maybe spirituality. Uh, so a couple of things. And I, I, you know, a thing I heard a friend of mine say one time, his name's Timmy, that I really liked. He was, he was presenting something to me and he was like, okay, I'm going to put a lot out in front of you right now. And mm-hmm. then you can double click on whatever you like. And then we'll get like a drop down menu from there which I like that little turn of phrase. So I just put a lot out and maybe we could go in any of those directions. Um, Mm. But I also want to know what your experience was like or is like. So my, I I think there were two things that were arising for me. One was the, so when, you know, usually what I would do is when the bell rings, I would close my eyes, but this time I decided to keep my eyes open. Hmm. And this made me question that what meditation is really. So the question was that does meditation only happen when we close our eyes or, you know, it can also happen when our eyes are open. Then, you know, there were a chain of thoughts that, okay, we spend our most of the time during the day, you know, with our eyes open. And how can we carry that meditation into, into the day? Because Usually meditation is associated with closing the eyes, you know, for 20 minutes and doing that practice in the morning. However, how do we, how can we stay, how can we reap the same benefit with our eyes open during the day? So that was one question that was arising. Hmm. The other was I was, I was able to listen to your uh, clock ticking. Hmm. So, uh, the question, you know, uh, there was another question and this question I think was about time and this question about was the title of our podcast what is now and you know this time in a very literal sense that what is now what is now what do you mean by this thing now mm-hmm. and you know is what 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 time is uh, is there is there even a thing like now or is it that you know now is everything now is all time how do we define now? Uh, how do we segregate now from not now? So all, all these questions, I think these were the two things that I was saying. I'm curious to know when you said the term silly, you know, you were telling some, something about silly. So what, what does that mean to you? What is that silliness? Hmm. And I, I'll go into that and 
I just, I was, it was interesting to me for you to mention that your eyes were open. Um, Cause I mean, I mean, maybe it had nothing to do with it at all, but I wonder if that in some way played into my experience of your like presence mm. um, and my awareness of that. Uh, and I also think that is a really interesting topic, the notion of eyes closed versus eyes open meditation. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but in these sessions before I've, I've done both. I've had my eyes open sometimes and eyes closed. And okay, I didn't know that. Because my eyes <laughs> uh, so that would be maybe an interesting topic to come back to because um, I have some particular experiences with that too. But silly, it's, it's a feeling that is, I guess, just very light. Um, and even that, you know, there that's sort of a crude description that can be applied to a lot of different things, a lightness. Uh, so maybe there's, maybe there's a hint of irreverence too, like a, I don't care kind of thing in a, but in a playful way, like I, I could say anything or do anything and doesn't really matter. Um, and it's almost like a, a sense of a little kid that is, um, there's some like teacher figure or there's some rules and that are being imposed on, on the kid and um, the kid being like, that's stupid, you know, doesn't, uh, I don't care about it really. Um, but not in a way that is adversarial, but that is just kind of like fun. Um, and that's, I really like that feeling. Uh, and it's, it's been something that I've actually, Put some thought into in terms of cultivating it and and how that that silliness uh mm -hmm. or however you might describe it it may be like i've actually i was just having a conversation with a friend about this my friend raj um about seriousness versus silliness mm -hmm. uh and we use the term fatuity versus solemnity and like so fatuous is just like, there's no rhyme or reason to it. You're just like doing some weird thing. And solemn mm -hmm. is like this very serious uh, um, way of being or communicating. Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder if silliness is maybe a more pure expression of truth in a way than mm -hmm. any sort of uh, serious conversation could be. Um, and of course there are a variety of different ways of being silly. But to me, silliness kind of, maybe there's some implication of like uncontrivedness. Like I'm just, you know, I might make a sound or like do a silly voice or say a, a weird thing that I don't mean. So it isn't, it isn't like conceptually true, yeah. but there's some truth to it in that it's just bursting out of me and it's fun and it makes me laugh and it might make someone else laugh too. And mm -hmm. I can't make a laugh happen. It's just a feeling and then it just occurs. Mm -hmm. um, like so, the child wants, you know, it does. Uh, uh, what, what I can see right now uh, in you as a child wanting to uh, express itself, whatever yeah. comes, you know, in, in, in the now. <laughs> right. And how children just play and they, mm -hmm. they're constantly playing and with what, whatever they interact with can be a game. And, and it seems like without any rules or without there being a winner per se, I wonder if that's something that a child 
develops at a certain point where games yeah. become something to be won. And then I feel bad if I lose and I, and, and I feel bad if you win. Um, but there's this whole realm of playing that's mm. just uh, silly. Um, mm. Seems like a really pure thing to me. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about all that? No, it's wonderful. And uh, I think that is what our true nature is. You know, what, what, what we develop is, I think, what's called in psychology is the persona. Uh, that we develop and you know we present to the world uh, and the masks that we have so the beyond beyond that is our true nature which wants to play which wants to just you know do so many things so there are times I would just want to maybe shout or you know uh, crack a joke I would want to just laugh you know uh, have, have that weird laugh but because we, we we are taught to be in a certain way in the society so we, uh, I think we, we repress all those uh, feelings that arise in the moment. This, this uh, you know, makes me think that a child is actually very much present in the now. So if you, you know, I think if you ask a child what is now and if, you, if, if, if a child is there, you know, in our podcast, I think mm. that would be a more a better representation of what is now rather mm. than we are doing here. <laughs> right. They would answer maybe with a really like true expression of yeah. what is now. And, mm. and the question probably wouldn't make any sense to them because it doesn't make any sense. It's mm. an absurd question. Um, and that's, that's what's fun about it too, because we're sort of pointing at the absurdity of this concept of now because it is not really a concept. It can't be. Um, mm. You can't actually grasp it in any way. So oh, a yeah. child might respond by doing kind of like what you said, like shouting or, or yeah. dancing or something like that. But then yeah. that might not make a lot of sense through our adult, uh, you know, conceptual lenses that we develop. Yeah, I'm wondering how, how would the world look like if you all start doing that, you know, playing, playing around like a child. <laughs> if, if everybody starts doing that, you know, I'm just trying to imagine that. They, uh, I think it will be very pure mm. uh, in the sense that just doing whatever you feel like rather than being in a certain way. You mm. know, the rules that you were talking about. I wonder. It, you ever watch The Office? No. Uh, it just made me think of something where the boss, I don't know if you're familiar with Steve Carell, um, an actor who's pretty funny in my opinion, but he talks about he's saying something about how it'd be so great if children ruled the world, you know, if they were our presidents. Uh, and, and then he quickly realizes, but then it would, it would be anarchy and uh, it would actually be awful. Um, and so I wonder if we need at the same time, well, I wonder uh, if, if we need a certain element of structure, organization, uh, and this conceptual, like rule-based way of thinking. Mm. I wonder if if we need that, or if we just allowed for the playfulness to be mm. to occur, however it most naturally does. If that would lead to some sort of beautiful, harmonious way of existing. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the, the other model in which we are going by the rules, 
doesn't seem to be working <laughs> for mm-hmm. us. Uh, you know, the, the, the world that we have created. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about now, you know, now that you have mentioned, I can, I can see the American president being a child. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> just mm-hmm. playing around and uh, uh, giving this order to everyone to play, just play, to just enjoy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept. It's, it also reminds me of uh, a workshop that I attended back in India. Uh, uh, you know, this, this was a, an Osho workshop on, you know, based on Osho's concepts. And in this workshop, uh, Osho, so Osho had this idea of giving up the masks and giving up the personality that we develop to come to our childlike nature. And he did certain practices for that. And what he would do is, uh, one of the practices was gibberish. So, mm. you know, you just make sounds, any any sound that comes, you feel like making and this is how you, you know, let go of the the accent, the the persona that you, are, you have developed. And you also make faces, you know, weird faces. And that is how you let go of the masks. So if we keep doing this, doing this uh, through whatever arises in the present moment, we we get to that childlike nature. And by the end of the workshop, trust me, it's, it was such a beautiful, you know, uh, so the workshop began on a very serious note. Everybody was so organized. They were, you know, standing mm. in a circle. They were, you know, listening very uh, attentively. But by the end of the workshop, everybody was laughing, playing around, you know, just doing whatever they were, they, they, they felt like doing. Mm. And it was a beautiful, you know, thing to witness. Maybe we can try that something with, with mm. this, what is now. Yeah. What, what was that like for you? Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful because it it helped me to uh, shed my own uh, uh, persona, shed my own, uh, you know, the mask that I have created, and come realize my own true nature. And it was it was shocking at that time because I realized that how much I am pretending, how much I am pretending, and my true nature. There are so many things that I desire from within. But I'm, I'm every moment, every single moment, I'm repressing those things and not. Mm. Hmm. What's that like for you now? Uh, for now, like there, there is a yearning. I don't know if I'm still waiting for that uh, environment, you know, to do those things. Hmm. But I, I now what I do is usually when uh, when I'm alone, uh, maybe I'm still not. You know, able to. I'm not able to do that with other people. But when I'm alone, I would do this. So I would practice gibberish. I would yeah. just play around, dance around. You know, <laughs> do wild things. <laughs> but uh, the I think the uh, uh, a better way to do it would be just be that way all the time. Hmm. Hmm. It makes me think of some of my. Well, maybe not some. I'm just thinking of uh, one professor of mine in my PhD program and I, I, I loved them. I was so inspired by them. And I'm, I'm thinking now it's because, and they probably rubbed a lot of people in a negative way, um, but they just seemed so unabashedly themselves. And they were so like bizarre and like just the way they said things or the way they expressed things or whatever, it just seemed like they had at some point 
moved into the space of being like what you were just describing all the time, no matter what. Um, but then it also seemed to me like that made them, there could be no replication of this guy. Uh, he had his very own authentic thing. And mm. I also feel like it made him this really cool professor because he mm. could teach in a way that only he could. Um, but it meant that he was owning every weird thing about him, but then through owning it, to me at least, it seemed cool. I wonder if that also means inherently, if you are to do that, it will be really awesome to some degree, but then you're also inviting a fair amount of uh, like negative reaction on the other end. So then we maybe stay in this, in this space that feels safe, is, mm -hmm. but is not very authentic, but also blocks us from potentially receiving the inevitable like rejection or criticism from the people that don't like what we have to offer when we're just totally unabashed and authentic. Hmm. Do, do you think that is fear of judgment? Like the idea that, you know, what someone else might think, or is it more of fear of, uh, you know, abandonment, which is, you know, getting abandoned by the society in general? Yep. Uh, probably a combination of both. Cause I guess judgment might, be a representation of someone that is going to reject you or leave you or mm -hmm. um, right. whatever it might be. Them criticizing you is might be indicative of some deeper fear of being alone or of being ugly or, or, or weak or whatever those things might be. Yeah, this, made, this makes me also think of people who, uh, I don't know, you know, I, what do you call these people? Uh, who maybe, you know, some the society calls it people who lose their mind, you know, mm. coming from a psychology background, I think you would know that better. Is it that the people who lose their mind, do they get to their childlike nature? Or, you know, do, uh, are they actually truly expressing themselves? And maybe we, this organized society, we are, because most of us, you know, are, uh, are following the rules. We consider ourselves as normal and those people as abnormal. Right. However, maybe they are the ones who are expressing their true self, and we are the ones who have a lot of fears due to which we have developed our persona. Yeah, I've, I've I've thought about that, and and I feel similar to what you were just describing. I mean, it sounds like what you're in terms of like psychological terms, the notion of psychosis, mm -hmm. um, or someone who has lost touch with reality in in some way, mm -hmm. but maybe they're in a state of like hyper reality and, and what's happening is they, they just simply cannot conform to the structures that have been created that maybe aren't real uh, mm. and are just our constructs. Um, mm. Because like, you know, sanity is defined via whatever is the most common yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so then someone might be psychotic if, if they are not subscribing at all, or maybe they don't have the option. I wonder if that's maybe two ways of looking at that experience too, where maybe you have someone on one side who's like quote unquote transcendent or enlightened or whatever it might be. And they, it's, it's almost like they're actively choosing to not abide by this and they still find a way of, of kind of existing in the world. Mm. Um, and then on the other side, I wonder if there's an experience of what you might call psychosis where mm -hmm. there's just simply, they just are not able to uh, conform, which might also be a, a heightened sense of reality or, or an enlightened way of being to a certain extent, because it's, it's more real. 
but they just maybe haven't developed this ability to exist in society. So you might find them living on the street or, or wherever you might find someone or like in a, a mental hospital or something like that. Um, so you, what you're saying here is you might find an enlightened person on the street, you know, or in yeah. <laughs> sure. But maybe the difference is between someone that is quote unquote enlightened is that they have this other awareness of the game of the construct and they can see it and they can choose whether or not to participate in it in this very kind of comfortable way um, yeah. versus someone that just simply is outside of it and cannot uh, participate in it. But that makes me wonder that the person who is, you know, maybe not conforming with the society and, you know, maybe not also not choosing to behave in that manner, which is very childish. Does that person have fears? And that is why they're not able to do it. And if they have fears, are they really enlightened? Hmm. That's a good question. Hmm. Then maybe I think the person who is just being and expressing that way whom you know the person seen as a normal maybe that is that person is i don't know if there is a comparative uh here notion here but maybe that person is more enlightened mm. you know, person who has those fears of not expressing because right. how- like they're maybe even more courageous yeah yeah huh. mm. yeah this this makes me not totally rethink about this notion of abnormality and insanity huh. You know, uh, looking at a person now, maybe if I go on the street and if, if I see someone just doing what they like to do, uh, maybe now I would see them in a different light after mm-hmm. this conversation today. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. have, have I talked about that? Um, I don't know what you call it. Like it's a, it's a metaphor to a certain extent, but it's this visual kind of paradigm of psychosis and enlightenment. Uh, and it's the beach and the ocean. Have I mentioned this before? No, I don't think we have. So you could look at life as existing like on this on this beach, and then you have the ocean here um, on on the shore of the beach. And here, mm-hmm. the vast majority of society live on the beach, and they you know they're there, they're comfortable there. They see other people there. They have you know their magazines or maybe their phone or. Um, whatever you have to just enjoy sitting on the beach, relaxing, taking it all in. Mm. And they might every once in a while, like go swim in the ocean for a little bit or just, or dip their toes in the ocean. And, Mm. but it's this, you know, they're not going to go like out into the ocean because that's Mm. dangerous. Mm. Um, But they might go in there every once in a while, but they come back to the beach and that's where they live. Mm. And then there's the potential for, two ways of moving into the ocean and like going all the way into it and and exploring kind of the way out into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And one would be learning to swim and like developing the ability to swim. And even though it might be scary, like you have the capacity to to swim in the water. And so like- Maybe uh, unlearning not to swim. Yeah. Right. So unlearning maybe the fear that yeah. is associated with swimming because um, yeah. other people might swim, but there's something different about like not being afraid of going all the way out, like into the darkness. Mm-hmm. And so that would be one way. And then another is just to go out and get caught and not know how to swim at all mm-hmm. and then flounder and, and drown in, in the water. 
Um, and I think I, it was Aldous Huxley who wrote about that um, paradigm. Mm -hmm. I, I'm thinking that it was him that, where I read that. Mm -hmm. And so the notion being one is potentially like an experience of what you might call psychosis mm -hmm. or in the floundering in the water and not knowing how to swim mm -hmm. in this water of maybe hyper reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other being learning how to swim. And that could be maybe like a spiritual practice or something like that, where you're kind of gradually moving into what consciousness is or what now is or whatever you might call it and developing the ability to swim in those waters, um, which I think is kind of a cool notion. Hmm. That actually brings me to, uh, you know, the fear of death. Because uh, if, uh, you know, if, if I take this analogy a bit more seriously, then what, uh, what I see is the person who, who, who still wants to swim in the water, you know, they still have that idea to stay on the surface. Hmm. Uh, but maybe the person who is drowning, that person might experience something which is beyond even the ocean, you know, mm -hmm. in that sense. Uh, so this brings me to the notion of death that maybe because we fear death, maybe the, you know, there is this sense of survival that we have on this planet. Uh, we cling on to that idea of being in a certain way and fitting with the society. However, this person who has totally, you know, if we, if we call this person who has totally lost it mm. in that sense, then maybe they, they experience something greater than the person who is still, you know, wanting to be mm. in the society because mm. they are embodying that expression. Mm. Even, even if we think about death in the literal sense, then maybe... Uh, and, and this also brings me to the idea of the people who have had near-death experiences, you know, experiencing maybe something more than what we in this uh, physical form in this limited life have, have experienced. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm not sure even about this idea of wanting to swim in the ocean. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. And then what the definition of greater means you know potentially by letting go of swimming and and just letting the ocean swallow you yeah. something potentially greater being there but what does that greater mean and kind of like what i'm hearing you describe there is potentially something beyond the human experience yeah and this is so fitting like we are we are using this perfect analogy here because the person drowning in the ocean you know uh if, if we if we consider, you know, what the spiritual mystics have taught about death is like the person merging with the ocean, the individual consciousness merging with the ocean of mm. consciousness. So it seems very fitting to me. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Have you heard that? Um, I think it's, I heard it from Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the line about enlightenment, that enlightenment is when a wave realizes it is the ocean. So can you repeat that? Enlightenment is when a wave realizes it is the ocean. Yes, yes, yes. Which I'm great. seeing that kind of like what you're describing. It's like the person dissolves uh, into, they merge with the water and there no longer is someone to be even swimming. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder, and you know, uh, I, I'll be very honest uh, today that I, I had this intention once uh, uh, I'm not sure if I still have that to experience near-death experience. Mm. 
<laughs> I was I was making that intention somewhere in my mind huh. and trying to overcome this fear of death because uh, as as I would listen from so many experiences uh, which I read, uh, most of the experiences would say that it was a blissful experience. You know, the pain uh, is kind of there in the physical body at till one point of time, but after that, it is it is a blissful experience. So maybe we fear that pain. and if we if we overcome that pain go beyond that then there might be something greater to experience which in in human form we are not able to experience because of our fear of death hmm i guess i would see like the physical pain potentially is a like a last desperate effort of the human form to sort of keep quote unquote you from experiencing that and if you can only trans like transcend through it then yeah. this larger you can feel it but maybe the the body is sort of seeing you quote unquote transcending the body and it's sending you all of these signals to say go back you know don't keep going here mm-hmm. um but potentially there is a way of moving through that and opening up to something different yeah yeah i think a good good uh, analogy analogy here would be uh, you know the idea of adventure sports so there is this fear that we have but if we move beyond that fear then we experience beauty you know mm. maybe skydiving or maybe whatever that adventure sport is uh, i think it, it fits with any example in life of that fear of the struggle that we go through mm. and and you know i have this sense that maybe death is similar in that manner that we fear it so much that we we don't we, we we don't experience our maybe the true nature that we have just because of this fear mm. if if we can somehow let go of that and you know uh, this is something really blasphemous that i would be saying right now but you know maybe make this an experience this near death experience make it an actual experience for people to experience hmm. Hmm. it makes me think of another line i'll see if i can remember it um i think it's from a guy in the realm of existentialism named otto rank a psychologist within existentialism i think but it was something like we reject the loan of life in order to avoid paying the debt of death um it just that that line just came into my mind that we we reject the loan of life in order to avoid paying the debt of death mm. so maybe to accept the loan is to really intensely feel the pain of mm. of maybe death or mm. well i guess in this just thinking that death and and real life are intimately attached to one another so to really be alive is to really feel the loss and pain mm. of death because they're they're one and the same mm. Mm. that's interesting actually and it again makes me think of the notion that you know is is death something to be feared the way the human society fears it because uh maybe we 
are limiting our experience of existence by fearing death. Hmm. Have you have you read the book uh, The Denial of Death? Uh, no, I haven't. It's if I'm remembering correctly, it, it I think this kind of central thesis from the book was that um, essentially every fear hmm. is an extension of of the ultimate fear of yes. of death which maybe is really the fear of the unknown um mm. because it it seems maybe death is scary because of what it represents uh it represents something totally beyond my ability to even comprehend which is which is like the scariest stuff in life i think are because they represent something that is unknown you don't know what might happen it's like a you know scary monster in a movie is the scariest because you only have a little glimpse of it or you can only kind of imagine what it might be like, but you don't actually see it. Um, so it's like the specter sort of figure. Mm -hmm. do, do you watch uh, Star Trek? No. Okay, so there is this uh, you know scene uh, and something similar to what you are saying. There is a scene in. Uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery, and you know there is this person from a from a particular species, uh, this alien species, and this is the this person is the only person surviving, and the mother of this person, <clears throat> this extraterrestrial, she created a virtual world for for her child, and you know this person is living in this virtual world within the physical world, and this person is so scared to go out of that virtual world because her mother deliberately planted that idea that the world outside is very scary. Mm. You know, the world outside is very scary so that the child doesn't harm itself because it was the only surviving child of the species. So, so that the child just stays in that comfort zone of the virtual world. And as soon as someone mentions to this child, you know, there's a world outside, the child would get scared and would just go into its own shell. Mm. So maybe we are like that, you know, maybe we are like that, that we are so scared of the world beyond that we are not able to see the reality. We are not able, we are just in our shell, in our comfort zone. Mm. It's, it's a pretty interesting idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is uh, the way we have, we have been thinking about death, this the, uh, might have been limiting our experience. I wonder how that continues to play out even with us in in these meetings of I don't even know how to fully articulate it, but just the notion of me and what is in my comfort zone and what is outside of my comfort zone and how I might be maybe steering the conversation in ways that are um, supporting or protecting me in a way or uh it's also just noticing this may or may not be related um but how i i've i've felt fairly forgetful like of the things that i've said and i you know i could i i could stop and reflect and probably go back and find them uh but there's something kind of cool about how and this could feel like a total shift. So tell me if you think so, but how these words, all this communication and interaction, I'm just now I'm reflecting on a starting with silliness, uh, mm -hmm. which, 
which began in um, my sharing about my meditation or not a meditation necessarily, just sitting in silence. Mm. And then it somehow has, has evolved and we've found ourselves here and we've kind of touched on all these different topics with, mm. without at least on, on my end, any intention. Uh, and I don't, I don't sense that from you either, that it's just sort of, it's, there, it's like there's a, a ping pong effect and then it just develops and grows. Yeah. Uh, and I don't feel like the author of it really. Um, it's just something, I mean, there's, there are times I think I feel like more like I'm, I'm sort of pushing something out. And mm-hmm. then there are times where something's happening where in, for example, right now, it feels like whatever I'm saying is just sort of manifesting and I'm not so much in control of it. It's just like occurring now mm-hmm. in the moment with you. Mm-hmm. And it feels really alive and kind of outside of the comfort zone to a certain degree. But mm. what I think we've maybe been doing here is mm. familiarizing ourselves with this interpersonal discomfort zone mm. and becoming more and more just like open to playing in in this interpersonal area. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Uh, and isn't that beautiful, you know, to to experience it that way? The, the con- if, if the conversation is more, uh, you know, without an author that we are in this podcast, if it is just flowing and I don't know where that is coming from, hmm. then it's very beautiful because then we are learning something new here rather than, you know, repeating what we already know in our minds. Hmm. Then maybe there is a download from some higher realm, whatever that is, uh, rather than the download from our own minds. Yeah. Maybe it's like... It could be sort of a potentially pure answer to the question of what is now mm-hmm. and and now is just sort of happening and we're two vessels for this thing that is occurring between us but also at the same time we're we're not really the authors or, or the creators of this mm-hmm. it's just kind of happening through two channels that are sort of cycling together mm-hmm. Right. I uh, This uh, reminded me just of, of a video that I watched some time ago and I was listening to Jiddu Krishnamurti and, you know, the way he, I, I realized that there is a certain charisma to the way he speaks because he is totally in the now. He is he's like inquiring in that very moment and I was inspired totally. So he, and he would urge his, you know, followers to to inquire in the moment rather than listen, to, to inquire in the moment rather than writing down. And there was this woman who was taking down notes and he told to that woman that, you know, don't do that disservice to yourself. Mm. You know, inquire, be in the moment, inquire for yourself. What you are writing down is my knowledge given to you, my understanding given to you. It's not your truth. Inquire mm. your own truth. So I think that's a beautiful way what I feel that and personally what I feel that these podcasts are really helping me to, you know, get into that state of just being and letting the information flow rather than controlling it and repeating what I already know. Mm. Me too. It's like a, it's like a dojo. I thought might have said that before. It's like a dojo for that, or it's, it feels like we're kind of uh, sparring partners in a way of in in this in this realm, which is a really cool. You know, personally, in terms of personal 
whatever you want to call it, growth, or maybe degrowth or, you know, removing whatever stuff has been piled on top of the, the deepest me and continues to be piled on top of this is maybe a, an interpersonal experience of tr- attempting to shed that stuff and just play mm-hmm. in an open way. Um, yeah, I think, and that's a, it's a really cool notion too, in terms of Krishnamurti and, mm-hmm. you know, having these big talks or something where there's all this pressure on you to provide a service to a certain extent. And then you have the total confidence of just, arriving there and sharing whatever feels arises in the moment. And Um, that's why he takes a lot of pause. You know, you you would notice in his speech that he is half of the time he's just contemplating and then, you know, then he would speak. Uh, I think we can clearly see that difference between a lot of speakers that who is maybe repeating the knowledge and who is in the moment, in the now and, you know, letting letting that flow with the audience. Mm. Hmm. Well, I was wondering maybe if you're comfortable with this or I'll see what you think about it to maybe finish this uh, session, which what we typically do is like a guided practice by you. Um, yes. That's more still and silent. I, I wondered if you wanted to lead maybe me and potentially the listener mm-hmm. through something related to that, like what you were describing with uh, Osho with the... Um, those trainings and mm-hmm. like the element of silliness or you know i feel a little bit nervous like i don't know what that would look like um but what do you think about that yeah sure we can do that we can we can do let's try let's see what comes up mm-hmm. okay <laughs> okay so uh, for this practice i think then there are no rules and you know whatever you feel like whatever the listener who is listening wants to sit in any posture, you want to lie down, you want to, whatever that is for you, whatever you feel like doing. So this meditation is like an open meditation in which you just do whatever you feel like. And maybe just a bit of instruction is that maybe you can bring your awareness to your face and just make whatever faces you want to make, you know, whatever comes up for you, whatever... We, we, we always have this idea of presenting our face to the audience, to, to people in the world in a certain way. But maybe you want to make faces. Maybe you just want to make weird faces. So let's do that. And the listener who is listening, you can do that practice with yourself. <laughs> that's great hmm. how is that I wish, I wish the listener the listener could see uh that's fun it made it connected me to um what i might feel like if i'm just on my own i, I just had the this a, a sort of memory or just thought of like me in the morning when mm. I'm going into the bathroom or like going to brush my teeth or something or go to shower, you know, there's, there's no one to judge me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I might do something really silly or like do a dance move or something like that, you know? And uh, yeah. so it's kind of cool to do that 
uh, though I still do notice some element of self-consciousness yeah. with yeah. you. Uh, but that's a really cool exercise. Yeah, I think if we, if we do this uh, often, then maybe we can, you know, uh, really release that fear of judgment and just be and, you know, do whatever we feel like. Uh, you know, maybe then someone will take us to the mental asylum very, very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> great. It was a great time today. Hmm. And, uh, I hope the listener enjoyed today's session and I, I totally enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And I, I feel, I still feel silly and I, it's cool to kind of play in that realm a little bit with you and cultivated and I feel motivated to express my silliness for the rest of the day yeah yeah even I do yeah maybe I can make more faces in the washroom now (laughs) sounds good all right well uh always awesome spending time with you and um look forward to seeing you soon see you soon take care thank you for joining us in the what is now experience We hope that you liked the episode. If there were any insights or ideas arising for you as you were listening to our conversation, then you can share those ideas through your comments. We would love to know. Stay tuned for the next episode. Namaste.